0: Oh, Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love in all of us command. Caton bra se porte le paire, il se porte la croix, ton histoire et toi et porte paire des plus exploits. God keep our land glorious and free. Oh Canada, we stand on guard for the oh Canada. I'll stop you. Thank you. Thank I wasn't you. sure if I was going to stand or I you didn't. You know, I, it's uh, in honor of, of the World Cup, uh, Canada's birth in the World Cup. I'm actually surprised I got the French down. I haven't spoken French in like ten years.
1: <laughs> I'm sure I might get a few comments or whatever, but all good. Thank you, Luca. We really appreciate you opening up the show. Well, I'm it's very very patriotic. great to be here. It's, it's great. Attractive. Thank you, and also yeah, thank you so much for making the time. I know you're a busy boy.
0: You know what? Uh, It's always great to get out of the city and do things that uh, promote uh, the home building industry and talk about uh, construction and housing. And, you know, I guess today's Monday. So on a Monday afternoon to
1: drive out to the beautiful city of Oakville is always uh, always a pleasure. And sit down and talk. and, And we have a nice show here that we have a lot of passionate people that listen to it. And they love construction. They love what they do. So we've got a lot to talk about There's yeah. uh, quite a bit I, As I mentioned before The mic started rolling There's some questions That have come in I've got some texts that came in and, and we'll just ramble on And we'll talk We'll talk I know you just took over The position recently, right? Started in May In May So about six or seven months now So still training wheels on there Still got my training wheels on okay.
0: But uh, I feel like I got them kicked off Over the past two weeks <laughs> A lot of stuff happening There's uh, been a lot of interesting In things the industry in, with in, the government yeah, yeah,
1: a lot of things so, Okay, alright So Luca Bucci 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 is here So Ontario Home Builders Association You're the CEO Three years But then we'll elaborate on That whole experience there Website is www.ohba.ca His email is L. Bucci It's spelled B-U-C-C-I you Non-Italians out there uh, mm-hmm. At Ohba.ca And then on Instagram You guys are on Instagram LinkedIn Twitter <coughs> Facebook And it's on Instagram It's Ontario H-B-A And if you just type in Ontario Home Builders Association You'll find, find it, it No somewhere. problem yeah. That's it That's you got some notes here I don't know I'll get to these What is it like Spend what most of my Career in politics Okay that's a good thing Or a bad thing um, <laughs> It depends on who you ask <laughs> I mean this is why I look like I'm 45 years
0: old When I'm really only 34 You're 34 um, 34 Wow Yeah. Man. Okay and, uh, You wouldn't
1: look at you wouldn't, you wouldn't, It doesn't look that way Is politics That's what it does
0: Yeah it's a grind So it's
1: stress And politics That's
0: it's, what makes you it's, age It's it's stress It's the pace You, uh,
1: you spend most of your time Eating uh, garbage food uh, oh yeah, yeah i thought i'm just assuming i'm not this is all new world today sure. I, th- I thought food was catered there i thought it was like kind of film oh, productions no, no 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 you guys no. don't even get a, like a little per diem or something you No, know, like
0: every every so often uh, a, a stakeholder would be kind enough to to take you out for lunch uh and you know you just gotta play within in the lobbying rules to make sure that, that you're not doing anything that goes uh, against legislation on how lobbyists kind of approach you but for the most part you don't really get that much time to eat like I, and, and you don't really get that much time to kind of uh, uh, hang out with your family. So so just a bit about myself. So yeah, I, I spent the last 10 years working with politics. I started in 2012. Um, worked for a gentleman by the name of Tim Hudak. I don't know if you remember that name. Yeah, yeah. I remember that name. He's currently the CEO at the Ontario Real Estate uh, yeah, Association. Yeah. Um, but at the time, he was the leader of the opposition for the Ontario PC Party. Um, got to work with him for... I think it was about two and a half years, um, and then after that, I had the uh, very fortunate pleasure of working for our former Prime Minister Stephen Harper for a little bit. Okay, um, left that uh, when we when we lost the election to Justin Trudeau in twenty fifteen. Came back to Toronto, became uh, uh, what the what what people would call a lobbyist, um, and I did that for about. Oh well, gosh! From 2016 to 2018, so for two years, worked for a company called Hill Norton Strategies, then right. went on to go work for Hydro One, um, and then uh, at the time, I, I, just to show you how politically involved I was, I uh, actually ran for the spot on the um, Ontario PC Party Board of Directors. Okay, and I won, which is how I met the current premier because at the time he was running for leader, um, and uh, just through my responsibilities on that board. I was introduced to him, he found out about my history and then he invited me to come work on his campaign in 2018. So I left my job at Hydro One um, and I went on the campaign show for about two months. And then when we formed government, I went in as a senior staffer. I ran the Ministry of Transportation for a little bit. I ran the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, spent some little bit of time running the um, ministry of the what is now called the Solicitor General. At the time it was called Community Safety and Correctional Services. Okay. left government for a little bit to go back to the private sector. And then in about um, <clears throat> November of 2020, I got a call from the premier and the minister of municipal affairs and housing, Steve Clark. And they told me to come back in. Um, and it's like that kind of godfather scene where they said, you know, once you thought you were out, they just pull you back in. Um, and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to go run uh, the ministry of municipal affairs and housing on uh, the premier and the minister's behalf. So that's where I got a lot of my, well, I mean, I kind of picked up a lot of, of of information on the construction industry just throughout my time in government, but a lot of it was was picked up when I was at the chief, when I was the chief of staff at MMH. Um, also, have a bit of a family history in construction. I mean, again, the the, the kind of quintessential Italian Canadian story. My great grandfather came into Hamilton, got some jobs uh, digging out some basements, um, <clears throat> setting up some framing, um, and then from there, you know, buying and selling land in and around uh, in and around Hamilton. So it's it's always kind of been. Part of my uh, part of my pedigree, I guess, but uh, really yeah. learned a lot when I was working for the minister at that MMEH And then
1: Hamilton's such a booming economy right now it's absolutely oh, it's ridiculous absolutely how expensive insane. it's getting there now.
0: Absolutely insane. This is Hamilton. I Hamilton. Don't, like, we all
1: have an, a vision of what Hamilton's like, but now Hamilton's well, becoming another Toronto.
0: Right like, like for those of your list, for your listeners who are in Hamilton, I mean um, let's look at an area like around Cathedral High School yeah. right. Um, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, homes in that area were going anywhere between like maybe $75,000. I was about to say the cost of a car today, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, my brother just bought a house around the corner from Cathedral High School. You know how much he paid for it? Are we half a million or more? Close to a million dollars.
1: A million dollars now in Close Hamilton. Close a million dollars in Hamilton.
0: And that's and that, like, and like now that's, that's kind of getting to what we define as affordable because you go out into Ancaster, you're looking
1: at a million and a half. So how do we deal with this, Luca? Because we got a lot of questions, and I know that there's a lot of crossover here between you and uh, I mean political, right? So yeah. you, you how connected are you is your body connected to theirs? It's like
0: that's our that's our primary um, area of focus as an association right okay. like our, our our main mandate is to represent the interests of our members uh, with government and try to influence policy that makes it easier to build homes. Okay. Um, and we've been lucky that in the past uh, six years, or no, sorry, about five years now with this this provincial PC government, um, we've been able to make some significant uh, inroads on policies that allow our members to build homes and build homes more quickly, right? So, um, and, and why that's important, because right now, what you're seeing in the housing market is, is a result of, you know, 10 to 15 years of policies being put into place that restricted growth and restricted development. I mean, these are very environmentally focused policies and you know we always need to have a mind on how we build things sustainably because, you know, we can't we only have one planet and you can't just pave all over it. But, you know, a lot of the la- a lot of the policies that came to 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 I guess define the home building industries under the previous government were a bit more restrictive. And it created a situation where, you know, we weren't able to get um, the amount of homes that we needed online to meet the demand, right? So it was kind of like the policy framework allowed so many homes we built a year, but with immigration, with people kind of coming of age, getting into the market um, with increases of demand being placed on more of the concept of, 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 you know, housing as an economy and the, in the kind of aspect of flipping homes and renovating homes. I mean the demand for homes got just so high um, and our ability to build them because the policy was restrictive became so hard that, you know, we're getting into a situation now where, the market can demand anywhere between a million and a million and a half dollars per home in Hamilton.
1: It is important to like, we know that there's a housing shortage here, but I Huge. just feel that there's a bigger shortage and we'll get into it. in sure. depth, Right. And that's a labor shortage. Huge labor shortage. So I know that, and I've got stats here and we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, but I mean, I know you say it's important, but is it a good or a bad thing? Cause I get that, you know, we, we, you guys are trying to streamline the process to actually get a home built and keep moving in and growing that segment. But if we get rid of too many things that are making homes good, mm-hmm. what happens at that point?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of the issues are around, um, so so, so there's, in my mind, there's a number of different things that, that dictate how you build a home, right? So there is the actual, you know, development piece, like what you can build, when you can build it, how fast is it to get it online, and then there's a the building code piece, like how do you actually build the physical home? Yeah. There's a lot of work being done on the building code piece that ensures that homes are being built in a way that's safe, right? And there's a lot of work being done with the two regulators, a Tarion and the HCRA, to ensure that the way that you build the home is safe. And if it's not safe, you have a path to, I guess, for lack of a better term, demand, proper recourse from the builder. What we are focusing on is that other part, like, like you know, that, that development part, like where can you build it, how fast can you build it, that kind of thing. And, and you know, prior to this government, there's been... 15 years of policy decisions that have made that piece very, very burdensome with with red tape. Um, The amount of studies that are required have increased exponentially. Um, I heard a story uh, the other day where one of our members was trying to build something in Markham, and they got plan approval in 2006. Now, this is almost... Uh, what's my math, 2020, 2022 takeaway tutorial 2006 is about, what, 17, 16, 17 16, years? yeah, yeah. 16 years. They're still trying to build out pieces of that development. What's the what's the years. block? Where's the roadblock? Permitting, uh, pulling permits from municipalities is a big one, um, and just kind of navigating through the political process on the municipal level. Because a lot of these decisions of development are being brought to councils, municipal city councils, that are very politicized and influenced by um, in vogue uh, political entities. So you heard of this concept called nimbyism, not in my backyard. A lot of times neighborhood associations and groups will try to block developments just because they don't want to have increased density or or an increased kind of housing capacity within their neighborhood because they like the way that it looks, they like the way that it feels. And the only person that loses out on that is the person who's trying to get into the market, right? Because it restricts their ability to participate in the housing market in that area.
1: But is there, uh, for lack of a better word, is there a homing privilege situation here? I can think of one thing right off the bat. I mean, I was invited to a lunch meeting at uh, Young End. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, where Taroni's is, where the LCBO. Uh, oh, um, Summer Hill. Young and Summer Hill. Summer Hill, exactly there. And I was walking around, and I'm like, what's with the hole in the ground? Yeah. I don't remember this hole in the ground here before. What's going on? And then I go, oh, there's an interesting story here. So now they're building a 10 or 11-floor structure that's going to block the view of the clock that's right. tower. It got approved. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of privilege building approval there, but then we're getting stuck in a residential and we're trying to, like this person that you know, that's a member mm-hmm. of the ma- of the association, there's a little bit of privilege going on there. And I know there's some political, someone is married, there's a, there's, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean?
0: So, so there's, there's a benefit to people who are currently in the market um, because they're able to draw off the equity of their existing home asset, yeah. perhaps purchase new homes. Um, there are some instances where, uh, you know, people trying to build may have a bit more of a sophisticated government relations kind of uh, approach, and they're therefore they're able to kind of move decisions through the municipal processes a bit more quickly. Um, but then there's the other side of privilege, right? Uh, let's take the example that you just used—you know, the hole in the ground because they're going to block a clock. In some cases people who are currently living in that area and you know it's a nice area um probably have to make close yeah. to a, a million dollars to live there um if who, yeah if not more yeah um who will try to manipulate the political process to block that development right because they enjoy the privilege of living in that area and they like to look at their clock and you know they like to maintain the character of uh, the neighborhood um which is you know their prerogative but what it actually will do in the long run is it restricts our ability or, or the province's ability to bring more house supply online. And then it just further perpetuates this supply issue. Right. And those of us who have a,
1: how did we get to this issue? What are your thoughts on how we got to this issue? The supply issue. Yeah.
0: Um, 15 years of, of policy decisions that focused on restricting growth rather than encouraging growth. Um, I so know, supply and demand, basically supply demand. Yep. I, and you know, I think in that period of time, um, when these policies were starting to be put into place in the previous government, there wasn't the foresight of how things like immigration would change, um, how things like a global pandemic would influence, you know, people's desire to live in a home that has a bit more space. Um, there was just probably a overall lack of oversight on, you know, how much land there actually is in this province to to save, right? Like, it's funny. Um, one of the big things that uh, that uh, the last government did is they put a number of restricted growth policies in and around perhaps some of the most valuable real estate in the country. If you look at a map of, of Ontario, and you'll see that like a line, the golden horseshoe, the line around uh, Lake Ontario, um, that's where all the development happens. But soon as you go, I don't know, in some cases, 10, 15 kilometers north, you're actually not allowed to build, Yeah, right? Because they wanna protect that farmland, which is great. Um, but you know- Eventually you have to build Eventually it. you have to build, because this is, this, is, this is, when people come to Canada, they're coming to Ontario right? The majority of them are coming yeah, to Ontario. Yeah, the majority of the, yeah. co- the country is here. Exactly. And and on top of that, the majority of the people who are coming to Ontario want to reside within that golden horseshoe area because of the accesses to resources and amenities, right? And then you have this weird kind of policy apparatus where you're only allowed to build within so many kilometers of that shoreline, and then anything above and beyond that, like it's, it has a lot of restrictions, and you can't really build there because of, you know, environmental protections or, or protecting farmland, which I guess is fine, but there are some cases where the land that they're protecting isn't really being used for farming. It's the land that they're protecting isn't necessarily being preserved. Uh, It doesn't necessarily have um, an environmental component that needs to be reserved. In some cases, these were arbitrary lines drawn by political decision makers that restrict growth. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity there to kind of look at these pieces of land and say, okay, what is actually farmland that you can use and let's protect that, but what has been sitting dormant for 15 years, you know, has been used as like soybean crops just for the sake of, Giving a farmer a rationale to to write it off as as farmland tax, right? Like these are all. But this whole builds things.
1: builds faster program that are the PC government right now mm-hmm. has implemented. I, I haven't I haven't spoken to anybody in the industry that thinks it's a positive. Why is that? They just I think that uh, it's focusing too much on existing. Uh, su- uh, suburban areas, existing neighborhoods that you could uh, fast track certain building processes and all of a sudden you can turn your duplex into a triplex. You can expand it and have different dwellings on the same to- uh, property line. Mm-hmm. So it's just you start getting into a situation where now you're going to have multiple cars being parked, driveways being like it's just going to be an influx. But that's right there. It's not a, It's not going into the farmland area. It's well, going into the core. If you look at what the government did on Friday,
0: they um, which was complementing bill 23 wasn't necessarily in bill actually wasn't in bill 23 at all uh they bill
1: 23 was removed from this plan wasn't it
0: no no bill 23 The, the
1: green the green aspect of it
0: so so the government did three things in the last in the last 10 days. They introduced bill 23 which was the more homes built faster act and that dealt a lot with you know how do we increase density within urban centers how do we navigate through the development charge processes to make sure that you know municipalities aren't just increasing development charges uh, ad hoc um, in a way that's going to make housing more um for lack of a better term uh, unaffordable. It's looking at the ways that you move permits through the system and trying to kind of marry it to timelines. Then what the government did on Friday, and particularly in areas like Hamilton and Halton, they made changes to um, official plans. So this is the plans that municipalities put into place that govern where things can be built. And in a lot of cases, particularly in Hamilton, um, which uh, has a very defined urban boundary, so a very defined area where things can be built, they've actually expanded that boundary into um, some of the white belt lands or, or, or some of the agricultural lands above and beyond the city limits, right? So they've added hectares upon hectares of, of land into the city's boundary that they can now use to develop and bring more homes online.
1: So what I was trying to reference, because someone sent this to me, I didn't even know about this, right? right. So they were talking about subparagraph 2.4 of subsection 114.5 of the act. This should be removed, um, also remove subparagraph d of subsection 41.4 of that same act, which basically gets rid of a lot of the green building that the previous government, Put into place.
0: I I I uh, wish I had the act in front of me so I can refer. I can uh, someone fantasy. just brought it up to me, so they yeah. were
1: just talking about it. So inside the bill, that's that's what the Ford government did. Right now, is they yeah. they got rid of the green incentives to actually build a certain way because they felt that it was going to fast track the building process. But now, mm-hmm. what kind of a home are you building? <coughs>
0: I'm going to have to look into that one because I'm not too familiar with what that is. Okay, that's I, I was I, I looked yeah.
1: into it and I was like, yeah, it basically just, okay, so you don't have to build a very green home now. But are they getting rid of the incentives
0: or are they changing the building code? Because those are two different things. <laughs> they're not ones. changing
1: the building code. Right. They're getting rid of the incentives, right? Right. So now, okay, I get it. So now you've got um, a fast driving car and we're going to get rid of this fuel limited or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just trying to like, you know, that that's what I was talking about regarding that right. point of it. Right. So that's why I keep on going back to it. And I know that you've stated and also a lot of other people have stated that this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem is that, um, sure, 10 years of 1.5 million homes, that's a beautiful goal. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. I'm not it's a politician. Ambitious. It's ambitious. No, it's not even ambitious. It's not, it's even ambitious. it's not even getting to the letter of A. It's right. not even getting that far. It's its not ambitious because let's look at history now. You, you would know this as well too. Mm-hmm. The last 10 years... Um, we only reached reasonably around 700,000 homes. I'll even give you up to 800,000 homes.
0: 100,000 of those came in 2021.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a big jump. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying that in the last 10 years, we've been coming up to a booming market. And all of a sudden, we've been, aggressively building mm-hmm. and we got to let's just say for argument's sake eight hundred thousand homes mm-hmm. now you guys are, you know everybody working together on this not just you guys um you guys are saying we're going to pull off 1.5 million homes in the mm-hmm. next 10 years that's going to fail it's not possible here's the number one reason why i think it's going to fail not once i've gone through the whole thing and i'm not trying to paint a target or anything sure, yeah, we're, we're having a conversation Please. here because this is a lot of stuff that people bring up to me Not once in any of this conversation, either through your letter or through Monty's letter or Ford's or Clark's or anybody's letter, not once is the word labor brought up. Who's building these 1.5 million homes? We need a labor force. So it kind of reminds me of, I'm not a fan of Chinese government (coughs) and I'm not a fan of their safety record, but the one thing that the Chinese do do, and they are the number one in this, is they build the most efficiently. Hmm. They figured out a way to build something in a two-pronged system. So if hmm. there's a single problem, they attack it with two ways. Hmm. You guys want to build 1.5 million homes. You and your organization wants to find those 1.5 million spots, right? Hmm. And then the Ford government wants to find those homes and get people in there so then we c- it's how the whole everything works, right? Hmm. But at the same time you're saying we need to build and streamline and get these permits and get all this stuff going. We need 1.5 million laborers. Mm -hmm. and now here's the other thing is that recently i had tools in a trade in here and we were talking and they're like if someone goes into this business now in construction doesn't matter what trade it is right if they come into this business now they're not ready to be profitable for any business owner um, for another four or five years right so we have a 10-year period we're looking at making 1.5 million homes We have a labor shortage. We don't have enough. Even if we have an influx of so many of them coming in right now, it's still going to take four or five years to get them to a point where they're usable. That's if they stay. Mm -hmm. So I think the same thing is, and I think what, and I'm not a politician, I'm just saying that if you announce this build faster program Mm -hmm. and you start implementing this and you're trying to streamline everything, there should have been a conversation about labor. Mm -hmm. There should have been a way to talk about how do we get the people in this industry to build those homes? Because we need those people. There's far many more tradespeople leaving the industry than coming into the industry.
0: And 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 you know, even though the labor piece hasn't had a lot of profile, I still think that the government is doing some <clears throat> interesting work to encourage uh, encourage people who have uh, skill sets, particularly in the trades that require that we required that are required rather to build homes um, and making it easier for them to come into the country, get certified. Are they? I think so.
1: Yeah, I remember with Harper, Harper had that. Yeah. And we had an influx of Irishmen and women. Right. They came in and, and it was great. And I saw a huge amount of, of Irish people coming into this country and working and hardworking too. And, I, and I've used them several times, different crews. Mm-hmm. But then once Harper left, it kind of changed at that point, And I didn't see the influx of immigrants.
0: <laughs> well, it was a different kind of immigrant. I think the federal government changed the parameters of their immigration policy to let focus less on um, what kind of employment asset you're able to bring into this country, and just focus more on, let's say. Um, and I'm not an immigration expert. I'm not an expert on 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 um, federal government immigration policy. But my perception is is that they focus less on you know what kind of skills can you bring in, and more on you know what co- what is your country of origin what kind of political situation you're facing there and how could we create an environment for you to come in and and take refuge? Um, As you can probably, like, let's look at the Syrian refugee crisis and Canada's actions on that, right? What I think you're seeing now with the federal government is a path that kind of marries the two. And again, I'm not too familiar with federal immigration policy, but I think they're looking to bring in those um, individuals who are experiencing some sort of political turmoil, but at the same time are now paying attention to what kind of skill sets they're bringing into the country. Because um, you're right, the Harbor government used a point system, right? How many?
1: Yeah, right. That's how you got. It. And if you didn't match those or meet those, right. you, you weren't um, I allowed. I think they're
0: going down that path again. But if you look at the provincial government in their last, not their last labor bill, but perhaps one of the last labor bills they tabled before the election, a big thing that they did and a big thing that they were hearing from the industry was you had someone come in from Country X who had a certified trade. But for some reason, that trade wasn't transferable here uh, because of the Why? various different Like this is models. what I have a problem right. with. Right. But they, they, they then created the legislative framework to move away from that model. So now we're getting closer to the point where if you do have a skilled technical trade um, and you can apply that trade here, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to qualify for that certification um, in a way that's a bit more streamlined, a bit more easy than you would have had probably two or three years ago. You're starting to see it even though it's not construction, but you're starting to see, you know, this approach being taken with nurses to solve the shortcoming of uh, nurses that we've we've been experiencing since the pandemic. I know Monty's leads are focused on, you know, making sure that we have the same kind of approach brought into people who need to do, you know, um, drywall or, or some sort of fitting within the construction industry as well, right? Like labor, the, the issue with labor is that um, it's so it's so hard to pin down what is actually causing the shortage of labor. Is it people, right? Is it a shortage of skills? Oh, it's easy. I could could pinpoint it right now. Please. The
1: younger generation in Canada doesn't want it. Right. Bottom line. Right. So you have to go outside to get it. So you have to go outside to get it, or you've got to make it very attractive to the younger generation. That's right. Like I've got some numbers here. So we, we all know, and this is all public record, right? Like Ford's salary annual is like 208 grand. Monty's is somewhere around 170-something, whatever mm-hmm. that. His inspectors start at around 130, and they go up as has 150. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what a typical GC in Ontario makes annually?
0: Me first it's I can't.
1: 56,000, mm-hmm. average. A plumber's in around 70, 79. They're part of the top three, which is HVAC, Plumbing, and Electrical, which is recession-proof, high-rise, commercial, residential, right? So you've got these trades that are making half, if not a quarter, of what, the political people that are changing the landscape are making mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to kind of swallow that pill so you need to figure out a way to make it attractive and i personally think and i had a slight argument on social media not even an argument whatever <coughs> someone left a message on a comment of, of a post that i did where they said he was too expensive mm-hmm. his his quote everything was too expensive and and i have always said that i'm sorry but What trades charge and what contractors charge is well below what they should be charging. Mm -hmm. But then you've got the underground economy. I still honestly believe that getting rid of or adding the HST and GST and putting all that whole stuff together, that created the underground economy, right? So that's a whole other, and that's been going on for the while. That's why uh, legitimate tradespeople and businesses they have all their proper insurances they're all certified they had and they keep on certifying themselves and they have the problem they have the proper bathroom like there's a whole bunch of talk going on right now because of females in construction and, and first of all i've never ordered a single toilet that's a typical one you know the johnny on spot one right so it's mm-hmm. a, basically you have a tight-knit urinal tight-knit toilet and that's it and then it became an argument about napkin dispensers and things like that i've always war- ordered the larger one that it has more room. And I did that because guess what? Manny, the GC was always using the toilet. And I, I got tired of rubbing my elbows on the sides of the walls. Right. I wanted space and I wanted right. heat. So I would spend the extra money, which was twice the price. And I would do that. And the guys were very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it costs to build. And I think that we are having a hard time constantly fighting to get what we do get, but it's still well below the means of what we should be getting. Right. So, so why would a kid come into this industry knowing that if I'm going to be a GC, I'm only going to make 56K?
0: That's a good point. And, and the way that I interpret your point is there are so many pressures, financial pressures that are going into, if we just look at home building, so many different financial pressures that are going to home building, right? So that you have your land carrying costs, yep. right? You have your supply costs. You have your costs that are associated with government fees, which is 25% of the cost of your total home, yep. right? Um, and then you have labor. Right, and then here is the price that the market is going to dictate how you can sell a home. So, so you know, if you're only going to be able to sell a home for, let's just use a nice round number, a million bucks, right? And your land costs are going up because there's a supply shortage, and when people get into a supply shortage, right. price of land gets crazy. Yeah. So that's eating into your million dollars. You have escalating government fees, right? Um, and we see this across the province where municipalities have started increasing things like development charges and, and, and parkland charges by, you know, um, factors that, that approach 500% increases overnight. So that's going to eat into your cap, yep. right? We all know the issues with materials, the shortage of materials and inflationary cost of materials. So then the labor piece, which is probably the easiest to manage from a- Easiest um, to
1: manipulate.
0: Yes, easiest to manage from a, a, a <laughs> man, from, from a from a builder perspective. Yeah, man, um, manipulate, right. manage. Yeah, same thing. But, but but I guess it's the one aspect that's in their control out of the other ones that we've defined, right? And I think what the government is trying to do is they're trying to make it easier to alleviate the pressures on the things that builders can't control. They're trying to restrict municipalities' ability to increase um, development charge fees arbitrarily. They're trying to um, find ways to 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 soften the pressures of inflation to make the cost of materials more manageable. They're looking to try to find ways to increase supplies so that the crazy kind of speculation and escalating land costs costs associated with building a home become more manageable, and that allows you to have a little bit more flexibility on the price that you're charging your trades or you're charging for your tradesmen, right? Because if you're looking at those four pillars of home building, and you know. You're not being able to control the three different aspects because they're being dictated to you by either the economy, by government decision making, or by you know just straight up metrics of supply and demand. You're not going to have a lot of space to to adequately compensate those tradespeople. So I think the approach the government has been taking is let's try to help the industry control, not control, but but get some stability on the on the aspects that they can't control. So that when they're trying to solicit labor, they can put forward a competitive proposition to get more people into the trades to build these homes, because that is something that I think a lot of governments really haven't thought about before. I think they're looking at home building as a holistic kind of entity um, and not really breaking it down. And I think what this government has done is actually broke it down. And they're saying, okay, well, how can we address these different aspects so that we can create an environment where we can attract the talents, we can you know offer competitive wages, so, bring those high schools. So Luca,
1: why didn't parents? the government? speak up not once and if anybody follows me on social media sure. i spoke up several times i'm talking about just the material side of this industry, this sure. four pillars thing right um not once did they speak up like when we saw a two by four hit twelve dollars for a single two by four by eight feet right, right. and and i have an insider uh, that works somewhere and i'm not going to mention it uh, but the thing is that you know i would speak up i would make noise i would bark and he would call me and, and he would just tell me to shut up right we're making money shut up right? There was, we know for a fact that it was all material, it was all record profits during the last three years. They've been making hand over fist doing very, very well. They were charging what they wanted to charge because we were building crazy. Everybody was busy. Everybody was booked. Everybody was working. Just like you said earlier, you know, the whole pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, everyone was like, my house is not me. It's not fitting the family. Mm -hmm. We need to renovate. So get somebody in here quick. Mm -hmm. And then their thought process was, well, we can charge whatever we can. We can't. We weren't. The tradespeople were not. And you did get into conversations on social media saying, just charge more. Just charge more. But now the coin is turning because now people are pulling back not doing as much work they're they're Mm -hmm. pausing on projects because they're starting to see that what's going to happen for next year we don't know so the government could have helped with the material how expensive it did get but they never vocalized it or shared it how would they how would they help it speak to the companies that are providing this you're basically just charging too much we need to keep this going at a reasonable level don't expect the laborers to actually discount their rate
0: I, I I can appreciate that approach, but I don't know if the government has that many levers that they can pull there. I mean, a lot of the materials that you're getting are dictated off of off of
1: material you know, coming from Canada. But it's raised and grown in Canada, and then it's being shipped down south or China. But like, so your maybe wood is that what you're talking yeah. about? Okay, yeah.
0: So they could have probably looked at the regulatory apparatus around yep. wood. Yeah, uh, they could have. That would have been um, a huge dent. It would have been a huge. I don't know how much of an impact it would have made. Um, but, you know, aside from maybe, aside from maybe wood, I mean, a lot of these things are coming from international markets. And when you're dealing with a pandemic that, for lack of better term, disrupts supply chains, and you have a situation where there's an increasing demand for those, those um, materials, uh, you know, that's when market forces kind of take over. And what could the government really do? I mean, aside from aside from, I think the government does something weird. Like, if you chop down a tree, you have to pay. I don't know. I used to know the number. Um, let's say a hundred bucks to the government and all the different kind of environmental protection fees to replant and to well, yeah, it's all it, the, yeah. There's replant, all these little rules. Yeah. All these little rules. Like maybe they could have tinkered around the edge there.
1: I know, but the one rule that should have been dictated with was uh, like. Limit the amount of our resources. We keep on arguing over and over on social media. So you mean
0: restrict? restrict not, not restrict, uh, but basically how about how trade? about
1: feeding Canada to become bigger and more self-sufficient? We would have been in a much better situation going in or coming out of and going into. If we were self-sufficient in this country right now, I would tell you right now, I would go, listen, 1.5 million homes, no problem. Sure. Just figure out the labor search. So
0: what would your vision of being self-sufficient include?
1: Start Well, glass went down there. right. We have no glass manufacturers here in Canada. We're dictated by down south. There's lots of like manufacturing here. It goes back to the rates now. We can't pay the rates that people are asking for, so they go elsewhere and they pay those rates that are far less. So now we're manufacturing there and then it ships. Like I know the wood behind you there. Mm -hmm. That wood behind you is from here, Mm -hmm. shipped to Estonia, and then shipped back here, It's sold. Mm -hmm. And that's still cheaper than to actually set it up here and make it here. Why can't we figure out ways to set it up and make it here?
0: But where would you think, why would you think the, um, so you you hit on a good point. The reason they do that is because it ultimately brings out a a more cost effective product, which then you can offer to the consumer at a lower price point. Um, And I guess I'm just a bit, uh, I just need you to get you to get me where you are and just help me understand bringing a self-sufficient model. How would it impact our affordability if it's bringing in a system where
1: that's not the number expensive. one thing. The number one thing for us to be more self-sufficient and actually get to a point is the labor force,
0: right? So I guess your argument then would be you bring the jobs back here, right?
1: One hundred percent.
0: But if you're not able to put out a, a product that's priced
1: competitively,
0: um, so here's here's a,
1: here's an argument, Luke. Well, here's how about we? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Let's
0: let's 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 take the wood behind me for a second. So let's say one of these wood panels costs a buck 50 to make right okay. in the current process that you are, you're putting um, whoever manufactures wood panels obviously has a lot of smart people working for them and they can obviously, okay, well, you know what? We can put out a more competitive product and we can maximize employability here in Canada. If we go through this process, if we're going to bring it back and it's going to cost us, let's just say $2 to bring in those jobs. Right. But at, at, at $2, I can only sell it to a fraction of, of, my consumer base, where in, in that loss of business, I'm going to have to make up that loss somewhere. And the easiest thing for companies to control when it comes to managing costs is their labor supply. So how are we going to get to a situation where you're, you're bringing, and I, I don't disagree with you. I just, I just need to kind of come up to where so you So here's the funny are.
1: thing about this, this wood scenario. Right. It is now too expensive to ship it back here. Right. Because of shipping rates. Right.
0: So are companies now starting to look at ways that they can manufacture this No, you that.
1: got companies now not selling the product anymore. So now the product has become extinct in Canada because it's too expensive to come to Canada now. Right. We've priced it out.
0: So then there's a market opportunity for someone to come in. Well, we could, exactly. And I think
1: there is actually, that's what's going on, is a a competitor is making the process that's involved in that particular wood and they're trying to set it up here. Right, Because it actually, if you start setting it up here, it becomes more cost effective now based on how expensive the shipping is to get it back here.
0: And that's the beautiful thing about the private sector, right, is that individuals are making these decisions free of government interference. It's when you start bringing in government interference and saying, well, you know what, if you wanted to start this business up again, we're going to have to regulate you doing X, Y, and Z. Those regulations come with a cost, and then that now that product becomes even more extinct because they can't offer it at a competitive advantage. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, to go back to your original point, why didn't the government stand up and say something is because more often than not, when the government gets involved in supply chains and when the government gets involved in you know, the manufacturing of goods, it typically results in a product that costs more. Right, because the government intervention has a price. It, it to does, but right.
1: there's a lot of tradespeople that will buy swag for themselves that's made here in Canada, even though it costs more. Sure, that you go back to being proud. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent.
1: What I've met in all the thousands of tradespeople that I've spoken to through social media that I've met or what have you are bumped into. That pride factor is a huge factor. Yeah. They and, and and I think that there's a lot of clients out there that would actually pay that dollar value for that pride, knowing that I agree. That material, everything else, like that that job, their scope, supply, everything. Canadian. Canadian, Canadian, Canadian. And, and
0: this is why, you know, if you saw in the pandemic, the government started making these made in Ontario stickers for the manufacturing industry to put on their product. Right? That was the government's opportunity to stand up and say, Why aren't you buying made in Ontario products? Like I mean it, it was Probably not as broad as it could be, but you're right. That is the approach. But they're world doing world.
1: it, and they're shipping the material down south or across.
0: It's not the government doing that. People are making the business decision. Yeah, the
1: bit, of course. But if right. we make it okay, so I mean, why isn't that Joe tradesperson? Right, right, because Joe could be a female name as well, too. Right, Joey could be. <laughs> yes, yes. So why isn't the government coming? And and we've had a lot of people tell us that you want more tradespeople in this industry you have to educate them, you got to get them on our job site. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to thousands of tradespeople out there. Um, they would embrace that. They would bring them on their job site and they would be their apprentice. They would get, modify the rules of apprenticeships, modify all these little rules regarding how they can get their training, but then incentivize the pr- business owner I'm going to take on a kid, two kids, three kids, six kids, whatever. Eight is enough. I don't care. It doesn't matter, right? But I'm going to train them. I'm going to, they're sponges and I'm going to get them on my job side. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about just all custom rentals uh, because I'm thinking like, listen, I don't know how you guys are talking in in politics, whatever, but is the recession going to happen next year? Is Mm -hmm. that, is that where it's looming? Is that where it's going to happen or whatever? You can share on that, but, I don't think it's going to hit high rise. I don't think it's going to hit commercial. I think the, the work that's going to be gone, you've seen some subdivisions already put a halt on certain sections of the subdivision work, mm-hmm. but it's going to destroy me and every other custom home builder. Mm-hmm. It will destroy them because that'll be put on hold. And then all of a sudden, if, if you had governments helping these businesses and bring in more kids, guess what? Bring in 12 kids. I'll train them, teach them. Four or five years, they're ready to go. They might even go on their own. They might be a site super, a four-person, whatever, all that stuff. We have a workforce now mm-hmm. to build these homes. Mm-hmm. But none of that's happening, though.
0: So, so are you saying that the government is not encouraging people to come in and work with um, certified tradespeople to learn the craft, or are you saying that they're not subsidizing them? I'm not subsidizing them. Right, right. I mean that and, <laughs> and I think they should. And I got I got to look into that. My understanding is that
1: there was some sort of do you, th- do you think that'll work? If I'm a regular business owner, I'm a contractor, I do one or two homes a year, I've got subs, I've got two or three employees and I want to say, listen, I'll take five kids, but I want the government to help me with this. Right. Will that work?
0: Will that work? Well, didn't we have like the OYAP program that had a similar model? OYAP's a joke. I'm OAP's sorry to say o, o, so, so, so again, so, bring me to where you are. Why, okay, why so OYAP
1: is a joke. And the reason I say it's a joke is because of the, the turnout. Right. What they turn out for what they get right. are two completely different numbers. Right. So the amount of money and effort and spent that on, on this kid to come into the workforce right. is a fraction Of what they're getting like it just it doesn't make any sense so then i've always joked over and over just get the kids and plant them on our job site sure it's illegal you know i mean kid can get hurt but you're in construction there's rules we pay attention to rules uh we you know we've been in this business a long time and sure you can get hurt but that you can get hurt crossing the street you know what i mean so it's construction is one thing or another but the government should start you know us they should be doing it so so (laughs) i don't disagree but the one thing i would suggest is
0: um, and this is something as an industry we need to pay a bit more attention to, um, and now that we've kind of got through this piece of legislation, we have an opportunity to redefine what our advocacy efforts is. We have to be careful about what we're asking the government to do. What I mean by that is, do we want to get into a situation where the government's putting another OEAP in place, or do we want them to actually put an effective program in place?
1: I don't want right. another OEAP. Right. So right. this
0: is this is the thing. So is there a role for, if, you're, if your question is, is there a role for government? Of course. I mean, you can make an argument there's always a role for government to come in, but as soon as you start talking about subsidizing trades, the bureau- the, the, this is, I'm t- going to take off my OHBA hat for a sure. second. I'm going to put in my, sure. Luca Bucci's a political ideologue uh, hat for another second. Um, when you get the government to kind of get involved, right? The solution that you're going to put forward, particularly when it comes to um, grants and, and KPIs a t- a attached to that grant, a lot of that is, a lot of the output is going to be absorbed by the bureaucratic process that takes... Place to get to that desired outcome. So if there was a role for government, the government's going to have to work with people like yourself in the industry to really understand how to effectively um, put together a program so that you're achieving an output that is not just
1: a political talking point, right? But that's what I feel that this whole build more homes Well, is. The, build,
0: the build more homes is looking at the regulatory environment that governs home building free of labor. The government has been very, very clear that it's not a solution to labor right and it's looking at the different policies that are put in place that get you to the point where you can start putting shovels in the ground right it's it's how do it's answering the question how do i get a piece of land right how do i turn that piece of land into a home and how do i do that in a way sorry how do i turn that piece of land into a piece of land that i can build a home on and how do i do that more quickly that's what the legislation is do looks
1: you like. feel that that's going to attract shady builders no to cut corners no speed things up
0: No, I think it's going to attract a lot more legitimate builders because now they're operating in a process that, or they'll be operating in a process that gets you in a position to build a lot more quickly. Um, The other side of it as well is that the government has put in some pretty significant penalties on builders who are participating in, in, in illegal activities. I think you're going to actually start to see the fees for builders who are not following the rules increase exponentially. You mean fines? Fines, yes. Okay. Thank you. Not fees, fines. That's what they are. All right. Um, I think right now, but and who's going to police that now? The HCRA, okay. Uh, the, the new uh, regulatory body that was created by this government three or four, two, three years ago.
1: And the, and and they have the staff for that. They are currently
0: staffing up to do that. Yes. Yeah. So there there is going to be a new regulatory regime that focuses on illegal builders or builders who are acting um, unethically, and they're going to get penalized for significantly for not following regulated building practices, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of give and take. Like, the government is looking at the policy approval process, trying to look at ways to, to move things more quickly. And at the other hand, they're looking at ways to crack down on illegal builders. Like, I think you're going to look at AMPS, which are the colloquial term that we refer to, refer to these fees that we're just talking about, um, that we used to refer to these fees that we we're just talking about. I think right now they're somewhere between, like,
1: it's like 250k <laughs> or something for an average home.
0: Uh, depending on the infraction so like there's it could be a series of infractions i think each fraction is is, is priced at like 10k okay right that price is going to go up to probably about 40 50k an infraction which is significant
1: right all right look i, w- I want to just shift gears a tiny sure. bit because i've got some people that sent out some questions and some Please. comments or whatever so uh i'll just remind you it's not me saying these words
0: <laughs> okay
1: sure <laughs> This is Sean there's nothing nothing nasty uh, Sean Sillis or CI uh it's CI Sillis yeah Sillis uh, r- From uh, Silas Renovations. So he would like to voice his concerns regarding this. It seems the PCs are taking the lazy convenient route to expedite new home builds instead of actually putting some effort into this serious subject. Convenience has a price and it's not shown until later on. For example, fast food. McDonald's is king of convenience and therefore invites the laziness within us to partake. Unlike fast food restaurants, these fast food homes won't come with health or structural disclaimers. There are no nutritional value warnings. You guys strongly feel that these homes will actually be better because there's going to be some strict fines attached and you're going to have to build it a certain way. So you're going to bring out the better builders to come out to build these homes. I I think when it comes to building homes, um,
0: there's a lot of information out there for people who want to um, hire a GC or if people want to purchase a home after a large developer. I mean, there's a lot of information online that individuals can do their research and come to the decision as to whether or not the person who they're entering into that agreement with is a safe builder. Of course. Right. Um, And then to your point, better quality work costs more money. Like period. As it should be, as it should. Exactly. No argument. Yes. I don't think builders who have a reputation for quality are going to take this opportunity to sacrifice that quality because it's just going to have an impact on how their brand is perceived by consumers. Just like I don't think an individual GC is going to take this opportunity to cut corners and move through the process, the home building process more quickly on his end, the construction, we'll call it the construction process. There's a development process in the construction process, the construction process more quickly because that's going to impact his reputation with the consumer. And, and I, I don't know a lot about the GC space However, I do know that the majority of business is done through referral and Uh, through yeah and through um, you know word of mouth. So, as a GC, do you really want to kind of come in, you know, build a shack, you know, have the shack teeter, hand over the keys? You don't want to. No, you don't want to do that. So, so what what the bill does again? The bill focuses on the development aspect of of home building. It opens the door for people to start the construction process a lot more quickly. There are mechanisms in place. one of them are, are self-imposed, you know, factors of, of reputation. The other ones are these kind of new uh, fine structure, this new fine structure that government's going to bring in that will ensure that people who want a quality product can participate with a builder or a GC who can deliver that quality product. But is bought-
1: the government going to inform the public it costs? If you want a quality product, it's going to cost you. Our problem in this industry is that we're, you know, you get two apples that are compared to a mango. right right and then the homeowner will always look at the mango right but it's spoiled so it's like government needs to back us as much as we want to try to back them they need to tell the joe public that you want a beautiful home it's going to last a long time it costs there's a there's a tag a a proper tag to it not a Mm -hmm. tv tag not a fantasy tag a proper tag Mm -hmm. and i think that that's where you you need to pay for it that's just the bottom line
0: i agree I agree. How do we get
1: the government to help us inform the public that you need to pay for quality work? We have the quality tradespeople in this country. They want to provide quality work, but you need to pay for it.
0: Right. I think there's an opportunity for the industry and those involved with home building to look at the current structure that the government's putting in place and say, you know what? I'm following all the rules that the government is putting in place. It means I'm a good builder. I stand behind my project and because I'm a good builder, that comes at a premium. If you don't want to contract my services because of the premium, you can go to this other builder, but I bet you if you go on the government website, on the HGRA website, look up his past, you're going to see that there's a number of infractions in front of you that even though they might not cost you a lot of money up front, I can assure you that they're going to cost you more money when you try to get them fixed,
1: Right well i want to say like doug taylor from uh frontiers is the one that mentioned it like as i mentioned to you on your text right that he gave me your number and that's how we got to this point here Mm -hmm. there's the six degrees of bacon and um when you guys were presenting i think you may have discussed this already with your members right what was the general vibe with the membership there on what they felt about this about the cost quotient yeah (coughs) excuse me um our
0: members recognize that quality products come at a quality price Right, our members are focused on making sure that the product they put out is is you know not only aesthetically pleasing but is safe, that the buildings are built to code, um, and that they are following the regulatory framework set out by the government that's governed by HICRA or the HCRa. Um, and if they can stand behind all those things, they're confident that the price that they're going to charge is the price that they're going to get for their home. What I think our members are a bit frustrated on is that there's a number of fees that go into home building that doesn't necessarily apply to the quality of their work that's driving up the price. These are fees that it costs to yeah. pull permits. These are fees that it costs the builder to navigate through the political inertia at City Hall to get a, a, a site plan approved. These are fees that are associated with land studies that are required by you know governments, right? Um, so that's, again, inhibiting their ability to price the quality effectively because they are now competing against an environment where they have to present a final price to the consumer. That final price has to have all those factors built in. Again, the land costs, the supply costs, um, the government costs, and the labor costs. And because they can't really control the land costs, the supply costs, and the government costs, it's the labor costs that's going to sacrifice. So I think they are frustrated. Right? And the approach that they're focusing on right now is they're coming to the association and say, help me get these other three costs under control. And by proxy, efforts. the labor will go up. And by proxy, you know we can fill that void with the increased labor costs. Or we can create some sort of equilibrium with that increased labor cost because the costs that we're facing on these other three points are choking out our ability to put forward a competitive value proposition with adequate skilled trades to put forward a, a safe and affordable
1: home. But the industry has been doing this for how long you can think of. Yeah. but We go to the labor, right? That's the first one to get cut.
0: Right. The the first to get a job. But the industry over the course of the last 15 or 20 years, you built a home in the 1990s. The government cost of building a home was a fraction of what it is now. Right. So you're still able to kind of, if the market value for a home is X, right. And government costs as a percentage are, are lower than they are now. So lower than Y, then you have an ability to fill that gap with the, 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 the labor price now you're becoming less and less able to do right. that because these other costs are becoming so high
1: 30 years ago that same gc was probably making 25 to 30 grand so we're basically just a little bit more than doubled the wage of a gc over 30 years but right. yet all these government fees have gone through the roof and the house costs right. have gone through the roof
0: and then and then you know government decisions outside of the home building industry are also devaluing that dollar that you're taking home yeah so it's like it's it's a very complex environment right well, how do we simplify it? Like, so. <laughs> I don't.
1: I think at this point... Is there any <laughs> too many chefs in the, the kitchen? <coughs> I think, is that I, what think it at, is? I think at this point... You can't put your you hands up and just it. give up. You can't just no, you give can't. up. No, when you When you guys were doing all this and you, you're paying attention to all this stuff and, you, and you're, you're speaking to all these government people and ministers and everything like that, are you guys speaking to the construction industry? Yes. At what level of the construction industry are you speaking? Are you like rubbing elbows with them and going, listen, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think of that? Yeah, do you clearly. think we're taking crazy pills or not? But you guys are speaking to the construction industry. Speaking all levels of the construction At industry. what level though? Who? Like um, what we bodies? Are spe-
0: we are speaking to the unions that represent the construction industry. We are speaking to the people who uh, employ the construction industry. We are speaking to the people who are working in the construction in- industry. I mean, there's a pretty comprehensive um, matrix of stakeholders who we engage on construction issues. Comprehensive, and it, and it goes from everywhere between, you know, the leaders of the industry to the journeymen of the industry to the to the person who's going out there as an individual GC, you know, trying to
1: renovate a home. Is that accessible? Can we actually see that data? Is that possible?
0: In terms of us engaging?
1: I'm curious you... about what was asked and what was answered.
0: They come to us on a, um, they come to us on a... Uh, They raise their hand to come to us for the most part and we try to facilitate those conversations the same way that we would facilitate conversations with our memberships we actually have um the ability through our renovators council to get a lot of that information as well um what is recorded i'm gonna have to look into it for you i'm not i just
1: figured it's it's got to be public funds so it's public are you talking about the government or the association well, oh, the association and the government. Yeah, so the association,
0: the association is not public funds. The no, okay. So the
1: association is a private entity, and you guys. But you're saying that all this that you just you, you're approaching everybody from yes. from the top to the bottom, right? Yes, and that's the general consensus that you guys spoke to as low as a journey person yeah. to to as uh,
0: <coughs> and even in our association we have a, a breadth of representation from everybody who's involved in the construction process. Like we, have, no, I
1: know you guys have a wide range. Yeah, that's right. for sure.
0: So they have the opportunity to contribute to our to advocacy. If you're talking about government consultations. Um,
1: do they even do it? Yeah. They do it. They do. They so have, they I, I'm have just curious on of, who they speak to.
0: That is, depends on an issue-by-issue basis, and I know that the records of public of consultation are online and they are public, depending on whatever issue the government's consulting, um, but I can't speak to how they're managing that at this point in time.
1: I just want another question here is uh, at radzui it's spelled r-a-d-z-u-i-83 my question for Luca is does he have any intention to pressure the government to expedite foreign worker visas essentially removing the red tape and create a streamline process we briefly talked about this yeah. Ontario is competing globally for the pool of skilled labor and sadly they all come here and work illegally good luck many and thanks for being an ambassador of construction <laughs> <laughs> I would never even call myself an ambassador of construction. I'm yeah. just a contractor with a big mouth. That's all it is. I
0: think one of the good, one of the more progressive things that the government has done on labor again it came through and I'm going to have to look up that name of the bill but it was one of the last two labor bills that came that was tabled before the election was looking at ways to to codify, you know, we'll call it um foreign skill sets in a way that will allow them to work in Canada. And I know um the unfortunate part is that a lot of that work has to go through the various different regulatory authorities that govern construction work. Why? It's government process. And that's something that we can look to change, but that's just the way the system's set up now. But they are taking the first step in that direction. That's something that no government has done before, which I think is a positive step.
1: Do you agree that back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, Canada was built off the backs of these laborers, these construction people.
0: I agree that throughout Canada's history, labor has played an important role in building societies. I mean, you can't build without labor. I also recognize that, you know, the country's a bit different than it was, you know, 60 or 70 years ago. Um, there's a lot more demands. Uh, you made an interesting comment about China at the beginning and, you know, the way that they build, right? Um, just
1: a part about building. Yeah, just a part about building. That's but, but,
0: but but you know, there's a lot going into that equation. And I, and I think, you know... Um, There are aspects of the way that other governments outside of Canada approach building that sacrifice safety and integrity for for speed. Um, And I think here in Canada, you know, over the past 60 or 70 years, um, we found that right balance of how do you execute speed and manage people's personal safety. But I Um, will
1: say, and I don't know this for a fact, but but I do know that we've shared on the show before, Canada is not leading that either, safety wise
0: no but they're not at the back of the pack no they're not I mean, they're, they're not like china or india or, no or, no or some places in africa
1: right but my point about that thing was like if you got a problem they have a two-prong approach to it right and that's how they solve it right, right now this is a, a single prong approach mm-hmm. that i personally and i still be vocal about it will not succeed you guys will not hit 1.5
0: there has to be a bit more of a focus on on labor yes like right now the focus has been on how do we move through development so that we can get to the point where we're building homes quicker right? Um, We have to look at how the government's new labor legislations impact that. And the governments are going to have to, we're going to have to advocate to the government to make some necessary changes. Sure. Um, But again, labor is interesting um, because different quality, different countries hold labor to a different standards with respect to the trade-off between speed and safety. And I think at some point in time, you know, the government's going to have to sit down and to your point, think about finding more innovative ways to bring more labor supply online without compromising
1: that safety. They're already four or five years too late. If you want bodies in the job site right now, you have to start hiring them right now to have them fully trained in four or five years. That's not even going on right now.
0: Um, I can't speak to that. No, no, I I don't, I I can't speak to that.
1: I want to ask you. So John from McNeil, um, he was asking a question here. Sorry. I'm just going to pull it up. Uh, what steps if any are the OHBA going to take to ensure municipal governments know how to properly roll out and enforce this new more homes faster program with what appears to be a lack of concern over building codes <coughs> when looking at efficiency of the new holes proposed by the Ford government? So are you guys going to please them too? What do you mean? Are you guys going to watch out like watch the builders that are members of you guys?
0: No, we don't have a regulatory capacity. That's the best are here, Criterion what we can do is advocate um, through the government to ensure that the standards that govern the building of a home through the building code maintain, high, uh, maintain their high standards. And right now the government's going through a comprehensive building code review that we're very engaged in. Um, and our primary focus is, you know, how do we not compromise the, the, the structural integrity of a home through the building code, but at the same time ensure that we're not over-regulating the way that the home is being built? Right, because there's 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 an equilibrium there. I mean, like, do we really need to get into a debate over what kind of dowels you use on a staircase, or do we need to focus on you know how do you build a structurally like a, a home that has as good structural integrity? And and what we're trying to focus on is part of the latter question. Like there 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 are things that government do with building code that are you know in, 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 in Italian we use the word we use the word fugazi like just yeah smoke and mirrors yeah. But how do we really focus on what actually matters to deliver a safe home? And, you know, rather than, you know, focusing on, again, dowels for staircases, why aren't we focusing on...
1: But it's a double edge, isn't it though, Luca? Because the thing is, if you're trying to overhaul the OBC and you're trying to make OBCs uh, push that glass if it was full of water to the edge of the table, Mm -hmm. that's minimum OBC. Put it in the center of the table and that's what most people that take pride in what they do in the construction industry, that's how they build. So if they want to overhaul that and do that, what you're going to do is you're going to price out people from buying the house now.
0: <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree. My my work with the OBC has suggested that, um, you know, if we use this reference, you know, the builder wants to kind of push that glass to the middle of the table because they think that's where they can take their pride. The OBC is probably pushing it more towards the other edge, which infers on your ability to probably put out a competitive product. Like, I think there's aspects of the building code that go uh, far above and Way. beyond. Yeah way beyond what is, what is, you know, an adequate, I'm not going to say minimum, I'm going to say adequate safety standard based off of building science. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the areas that we're trying to, to scale back and say, okay, well, you know, where the glass is on the table is the equilibrium. How do we get here? I mean, there's other cases too, where the glass is near the edge and it's full. And we're like, no, you know what, maybe you got to push that towards the center a little bit. Um, so, so I agree, like, like you put that glass in the middle of the table as a building, you say, this is how we build a safe home. Right. Our job as an association is to look at the government and say, okay, well, you're going too far in one direction, bring it back, or you're not going far enough in one direction, you got to get push it forward. And that's been our approach with the changes to the building code. The unfortunate part about the changes to the OBC and the problem where they're probably going a little bit too far are on the green standards.
1: I was just going to ask you, like, what definition, or how many of your members are consciously building passively or green or, uh, or implementing some portion of it? Or is there a big chunk of the membership that does that? Um, and will that change now because of this?
0: There are there are some members that are starting to build, you know, the passive kind of green kind of homes. We actually took a group of of members to uh, to Vienna in May to right. kind of look at some of the models that they're putting in place there because they have a bit more of a progressive kind of passive uh, home construction industry. Um, but. You know, my understanding of the topic is that some of the more progressive ideas on passive home building aren't necessarily suitable for a Canadian climate. That's not true. Well, that's at least what i so are Luca, do now. you know
1: where the first passive house was ever built? Uh, I believe it was somewhere in
0: Ontario. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan.
1: First one ever in right. the 70s. Okay. I'm just saying that. Yeah. And it was proven. But it was proven. And that's, I've driven through. Saskatchewan is a cold place in the dead of winter. I get that; it's a very cold place, right? So it it is possible. It is
0: possible, but I would also argue that you know maybe Canada in that process since the nineteen seventies has lost its competitive advantage on passive research and has kind of yielded that pedestal because the incentives
1: weren't there. Government wasn't supporting it. wasn't backing. I
0: I would. I would say that there wasn't a market for it. I would say that there wasn't a market. Is there a market for it now today? I think for people who have the resources, there is. But I think right now people are just focused on getting a home, not a passive home. Uh,
1: But then the secondary thing will be a home with all these utility bills that are going through the roof because it was built a certain way to meet certain standards and not achieve better standards.
0: Again, that's something I can't speak to. (laughs) That's something I can't speak to because I I don't know the X's and O's of of utility management.
1: John's got another question here. So will the OHBA help advise local governments in an effort of the best areas in each city downtown to allow the addition of duplexes, triplexes, or accessory suites? For example, will they help ensure public notice is given when an existing family home is being looked at for a duplex, triplex conversion or accessory suite? Now we know that accessory suites are big. We know that laneway and granny suites and all this other stuff. This is all becoming bigger, bigger, and bigger. Mm-hmm. Are you guys going to help with that? You guys are going to oversee some of that. Well, again, we don't have a regulatory capacity. All we can do
0: is inform government as to the best approach that they can take to create the regulatory environment to bring these homes online. Um, so our role there is the question. You know, where is the best part of the city to build these kind of homes? Um, our position has always been probably around major transit service, major transit station areas. MTSAs, um, because that's where you're going to try to, that's where you need perhaps the most density or the most kind of options for for housing, right? Because people who live by MTSAs are the people who live in 600 square foot units that don't necessarily need a lot of space. But are you going to be building, you know, granny suites out in, you know, areas close to the urban boundary? Probably not, right? A lot of that density has to be put where it makes sense. And for the most part, that makes sense in downtown cores where people... Are used to smaller living spaces and closer accessibility, closer accessibility to amenities.
1: I know that <coughs> the government is helping with that. To it was a big it, part of Bill Twenty Three. Yeah, in the in the court, right? It's yeah. actually assisting that. So then you're you're starting to see a lot more of that. Yeah. I haven't seen any horror stories. I, anybody who's actually no. attacking those particular <laughs> projects, they're stepping up and and beyond it. But the problem is that the price tag attached to it is justifiable. When I start seeing the numbers attached to these suites, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it costs. Yeah. But I mean homeowners are gonna have a hard time swallowing that if they want to try to do that.
0: Yeah. And and I, I have confidence. So what the government has done is it's made it easier for someone to build within their existing structure up to three units. So you can't tear down or increase the footprint of a home, right? And I think a lot of the um anxiety around as of right zoning is around the fact that are you gonna tear this house down and build, you know, three town homes in a neighborhood that are single family homes. And that's not the framework that the government brought in.
1: The That's gov- what we feel it's going to be though.
0: But it can't, it can't be. The government has created the legislative environment where you're only allowed to build within the existing structure, it's in the legislation. Okay. So the only thing that you're allowed, the only thing that you're allowed is if an auxiliary structure exists, you can convert that unit to a, a, an, inhabit, an inhabitable dwelling. So if you have, if you're in Toronto and you have a garage that you can convert into um, an apartment, you can do that but my understanding is that you can't build a garage on that land if one doesn't exist. If it doesn't it's not grandfathered in already. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the owner of the home has to make the decision as to whether or not the financial um, cost of bringing in that suite is worth it to them. And whether they're using it for rental purposes or whether they're using it to, to inhabit in-laws like, yeah, I think we all understand that these things come at a cost. Um, and ultimately, the people who are going to solicit this service are going to appreciate that that cost has some sort of value for them. Like the government's not coming in and say, "Oh, you have a three-story home by Blue so, or uh, by I don't know Kipling Subway Station." In your neighborhood, yeah. yeah, Kipling Subway Station. Now you got to put three units in there. It's like no. Like as the owner of the property, you have a choice to do that. And if it becomes too expensive, then you, you know, don't do it. You don't do it. But if you but like, if okay, you
1: hire a tr- contractor that can do it, yes, for a fraction of the price. Well, is if you can hire right? if
0: you can hire a contractor that can do it, that's accordance to the that's according to the um, regulations and safety standards that are put out through Terrion and Hicra, then yeah, I think you're in a good spot.
1: Well, they educate the public, I guess, purchasers, clients to understand fully the ramifications of buying said fast home. I guess it's that term fast home. It's just drawing all these conclusions that well, it's, it's not going to yeah. be a well built home.
0: Well, the, to- the, the 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 yeah, the, the name of the build is more homes built faster. Um, and my understanding is, again, the bill and the legislation focus on the development aspect of building homes, not the construction aspect of building homes. And if you look at what the legislation actually does when it comes to building homes, it's actually creating more incentives, incentives for builders to build homes properly or else you're going to face a um, more rigid and perhaps more uh, comprehensive um regulatory regimes that are backed by steeper fines right so it's it's all about how do we get how do we get to the point where i have a piece of land and previously it's taken me 15 years to get this piece of land zoned properly and permitted properly to build that home like and then you know not necessarily how many months is it going to take for me to build that home once i have that ability to build there so again, it's, 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 it's about the development process of home construction. It's not about the construction process. Cause to your point that you've been making it all along the construction process, you know, there's labor, right? Um, there's the cost of materials. There is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the, the, just the, the reliability the of, 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 supply, right? Like in supply, mean material supply, like these are things that, that the bill doesn't speak to, but it's the permitting piece. It's the development piece. That has taken a very long time to kind of navigate through. Like, we, we see development sites in Toronto being stuck in the zoning process for four or five years, right? Like, we're not even getting to the point where you can build a home on that site because it's stuck in the zoning process. No, right are these, now, are
1: these homes or are these condos? These are towers. These are homes.
0: The government defines a home as an, as an inhabitable unit, as is the association. So, so, you know, they're not necessarily single-family homes. They could be condos. In some cases, they are single-family homes. In some cases, they are
1: townhomes. So some people have the, uh, they're nervous about the term gentle density. Right. What exactly does gentle density mean?
0: That's what <coughs> we were talking about before, the as-of-right zoning piece, the three units on a, um, the three units to build, you know, granny suites or to take advantage of these. So would you want there.
1: gentle density in your entire street where you're living right now?
0: Well, the way that the government has set it up is that you can't change the structure of the home with respect to... You, you can't build on to the, the... You can't increase the home's footprint on the land.
1: Yeah, you can only go right. up or whatever, yeah. yeah. Okay. And if, if
0: it means that someone in my neighborhood wants to section off their basement and rent it out, like, so be it. If it means that someone wants to turn their laneway garage into a home, then so you're, be it. Everybody,
1: You're totally fine with it. Everything's totally cool. Everything's so cool. the extra cars and the extra gentle density.
0: Um, The extra cars... I mean, I'm not sure. I, I can't speak to whether or not the people who are getting targeted with these 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 units are going to bring cars, but I I don't know.
1: Does the province allow the municipalities to locally override their legislation?
0: They can't. They Municip- can't, right? Because no, municipalities are are entities of the province. Municipalities are born through provincial legislation, so they can't override provincial legislation.
1: Lastly, did I read it correctly that they're tearing down the red tape to allow multi-units to be built in on our private properties? They're planning zoning uh, restructuring to densely pack as many people as possible, if so, that people can have a roof over their head. That's basically what this whole bill is doing.
0: Uh, that's, again, the as-of-right zoning piece. Being yeah. able to build three units within an existing structure to increase you know, the inhabitable units in that home.
1: So, Luca, what happens if we don't achieve the 1.5 million homes in 10 years? What happens if this doesn't work? Is that not a question that's asked? Uh, I, 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 it's we're a asked that in construction all the time. When we're still building something, it doesn't work out, then the GC or whoever the trade is, well, we have to redo it. We have to fix it. We have to make it right. We so have to do all kinds of stuff. If
0: you were going to ask me two weeks ago what happens if we can't hit that 1.5 million construction yeah. um, target, I would say, well, it's because the policy framework around how we build homes wasn't working. Um, Do I think the solution that the government put through is going to guarantee 1.5 million homes? No, but I think it's a lot better than the policy framework that we had before, right? Like even, even right now, you know, just with their as of right zoning, you can theoretically build three homes where there where one existed before quite easily without having to go through. So uh,
1: this was designed because you're looking at how many homes there are in wherever you can build. But you're tripling it, possibly tripling it or something. Like that You have the potential to increase. So now you're basically putting two more roofs over two more people. That's right. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But has anybody looked at what the face of Toronto or even the face of Ontario, all of these based on neighborhoods that are close to mass transit, what that's going to look like in the future? What if by just by some miracle, whatever, we do hit 1.5? Mm-hmm. And now you've got this hugely densely populated cities, different areas. What's that really going to do for the city? Is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing?
0: I think if cities are serious about tackling the housing crisis and if cities want to get serious about offering a housing option that is attainable and affordable, I think it'll be a good thing. Because right now, the idea around development is if you're not going to build out, you have to build up. And If you're not going to build up, you have to build out. But we're seeing cities across the province doing neither. They're not building up, they're not building out. Can't and-
1: afford either.
0: The question of affordability and what you're able to do, I think are two different questions because the city doesn't allow the adequate zoning to create the environment where you can build and whether or not that build is affordable is a question that doesn't even come up yet, right? Like, so you have to answer two questions. You're like, what can I build on this site first? Mm-hmm. And then how much is going to cost to build that? But we've been struggling with the question of what do we need to build on this site first, right? And that question is, you know, are we going to be building up? Are we going to be building out? And we just haven't achieved the right answer to that question, I think what this gentle density does is starts putting us into a situation where we can maximize the amount of housing options that we're building in that urban core, right? So it, it, it answers the questions, well, you know what, maybe we can build up just a little bit, but if we're not gonna build 30 or 40 stories of condo towers downtown, you know, maybe we build 20 and if, at you know, the expense of that extra 20 stories, we're allowing three units in and around transit stations because that's where people want to live.
1: I saw a meme today, Luca, about how Toronto has the most amount of cranes up in the sky compared to other major uh, huge cities, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's something like 322 currently going on right now in Toronto. And mm-hmm. like places like New York and LA, they're around 40 or 50. Mm-hmm. Our roadways, our whole, it's not sustainable. You can't build that many towers and still, the car still exists, despite yeah. what happens, right? The car still exists and you still need to get around, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I don't know if you remember this. But, oh, actually you would remember. If you, how long you've been down at where you're at right now? 16 months. Oh, so you're brand new. So <sighs> you remember when they did uh the government did a little study about King Street and why there was so much congestion on yep. King Street. Yeah. So they assessed everything and their conclusion was the streetcar yep. was the reason why there was so much congestion. So yep. what did the government do? Close the streets to cars. Yeah. This is what I don't want to happen with this build faster thing.
0: Yeah, but I think you know, it's interesting through through throughout the kind of conversation we've been asking the question: What is the role for government? Right, and is the role for government to become more interventionist to promote the ideas of the the industry and the association, or is the role for government to kind of get out of the way of the ideas so you can foster an appropriate area for growth? What I think you're seeing with the streetcar pilot is is what happens when government becomes too interventionist, right? So so what we try to do as an association is if government's going to make a decision on something, the decision has to be, how do we limit the amount of government inputs in a process so that we can move along that process more quickly? And I think that's what Bill 23 does. Because you're, if, if, if you, you create a process that allows government to intervene more and more along the path, you're just going to get decisions like you've seen on King Street. Like government doesn't,
1: it's still going on, by the way. Like oh, pilot? St- oh yeah, yeah I, like, I walk down King Street every day, every single day. Yeah, but try to drive on King Street. I right?
0: I try to drive down King Street every day. You can't. You can't. I have to go up Adelaide or across front. No, I get that. But I guess my point is, is that this is what happens when you invite government decisions on a, a project that that you know would probably have benefited if we just. Told government we don't need a solution here, and just like like I, I guess the question. But government is, right now is giving us a solution. I guess I guess the question is you know, and we're kind of getting into the weeds here. But as a driver, would you prefer to stick it, stay in traffic on King Street, or not being able to drive down?
1: King no, street? I would have dug a tunnel and put that streetcar as a subway, and I would have left the car alone and kept a bike lane. That's that. Then guess what? All three modes of transportation work. That's right. I would pay attention to what other bigger cities. We all know there's a joke about our subway Like, that's going on, on a whole other tangent. But I, this is what my concern about is that, sure, it sounds like it's a good idea. But from what I gather from a lot of people in the industry, on the custom, right, now, like, I, I don't really converse that much with a lot of union guys or high-rise guys or anything like that, and those kinds of tradespeople. But they have the same concerns. They're all concerned that, okay, sure, this sounds like it's a good idea but they don't think it's achievable and is it going to work or is it going to attract bad workmanship or is it, I know you yeah. get fines and policing and all that stuff is going to happen. Sure. But I mean, I think people, if they're living on one street and all of a sudden every one of their neighbors, except for them, they do this extra building on their property. I don't think they'll be happy with what their, their street looks at that point, yeah. but yeah. we need homes. We need homes, We need, homes. We need homes. but we need laborers. We need trades right. people.
0: Right. And I, and I think we can take kind of like all the, the, impacts of the policy decisions that the government is making. Excuse me for one second. <coughs> Sorry. I got a I developed a bit of a cough over the weekend. No problem. But if we're going to take the approach where we're looking at the decision that the government's made and look at the extremes on both scenarios, you know, they're going to build too much or they're going to build too little. Like we can sit here and we can argue about what the issues are going to be like well, we can probably fill 6 hours of your show. <laughs>
1: Um, I don't know if Angelina will like that. <laughs>
0: well, hopefully, you pay her enough to kind of stay here for the the. Time she we likes have.
1: construction a little bit, but not right. that much, <laughs> right? But
0: but I think what we need to look at is 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 this. Um, you need to build 1.5 million homes. Me? Are we gonna Are we gonna achieve that? No, I'm gonna say it's ambitious. You're gonna say no. <laughs> I'm saying no, but. We weren't going to be able to, we are a lot better off after build 23 to get closer to that 1.5 million homes than we were before.
1: We were. You're going to hit the same number in the uh, last 10 years. <laughs> You're going to hit 800,000. Well, you, that, yes, that's, 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 that's bring that in the trades people. We need the trades people. Sure. So you need trades people. You got to take, and I go back to this over, and this is a common theme. Like, I mean, I, even Angelina's brought it up a few times. It's a common theme in the show. How do we get more young people? Because the truth is that um, the millennials, the you know the Gen Zs, are the ones that are listening to this show. They're the ones that are paying attention. That's the bulk of the workforce out there, right? You know, you got the rare old dogs, the unicorns out there that are in their sixties and 70s and still swinging a hammer. But they're eventually going to get out. And you got a lot of the younger guys that are in the middle going. I don't know what's going to happen when he leaves because I can't find somebody else to replace him, so he can't go just yet. So you you how do you how do you make it attractive? I know, like, I want to ask you, Luca, why did you take this position on? Why did I take this position on? <laughs> it takes a special person to take this position.
0: Um, I think it takes someone who, has a, who enjoys, like, who's a bit of a glutton for punishment, maybe.
1: That's what um, I mean, a special yeah. person, yeah. Um, I,
0: listen, it's an interesting time in our industry, and I think the questions that we're asking today are very important questions. And the reason why I took this job is to have the ability to go across the province and talk to people like your listeners and talk to people like you about where we need to plug the holes um, in our advocacy efforts for home building. Because I think right now you have a government that's very receptive to the idea that if you do this, you'll build more homes. And I think up until today, um, we have seen the government do a remarkable job of looking at the development process, not the home building process, but the development process. And they're asked, they're saying, you know, and we've said, if you do this, you'll be able to get more houses to play online. Now, the next interesting opportunity is, you know, how do we actually get the construction of more homes online? Again, bringing in more skilled trades. We haven't even talked about interest rates yet, but that's going to play a big role in how you do that, right? So now the association has the ability to do a bit of a pivot and say, okay, now let's look at the actual process of building a home. Let's look at the building code. Let's look at interest rates. Let's look at labor. Yeah. What does the government need to do to build that, uh, that, build that home? And for me, that's what's interesting about the work that we do at the association is that we're we're malleable. Sorry, we're agile. Um, We have a significant amount of influence with government. Um, We have an opportunity to talk to people in the industry, whether you are one of the big developers who has their headquarters in Vaughan or whether you're one of the GCs that work out of Oakville. Like like we do our best to try to incorporate all that feedback in a way that um, provides timely advice to government. Um, And that is all to say, (coughs) you know, if there's something that we need to be focusing on as an industry, there's that opportunity to influence how we approach government on that area of focus. So before we leave, I mean, you, you gave my email address off at the top of the call. Um, it's lbucci at ohba.ca. We're currently going through the process of how we're going to define our next set of advocacy initiatives because a lot of it, since I came on, since I came into the job in May to today, has been focusing on the development process. So, you know, is it time for us to focus on, you know, now the actual construction of the new home? Perhaps. So that's something I'd be interested to hear your members from your from your listeners rather, Um, and that's something that motivates me to come into work every day, because you know we can't take an approach with government where our voice isn't heard, and my job to my members um, is to make sure that they have an avenue to make their voice heard to government. Are they hearing? They are open to the conversation. Um, We have had a government that has been more cooperative than any government we've seen in the past decade and a half. Um, and we have a government that's very active in engaging with our stakeholders on issues that are important to our industry. Um, so, you know, there's an opportunity there to put that issue on their radar. And I know I know both, you know, the Minister of Labor and the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing um, are very keen to try to work with the industry to get that right solution in place, or a workable solution in place, because there's never a right solution when it comes to, to government decisions. No, of
1: course, a workable. Right. I agree with you on that. So, I mean, how long have you guys been around now, the organization? The OHBA? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So is that part of the test when you take the job or you put your hand up and you swear? Um, the no?
0: association has been, uh, inv- like, I just had dinner with a, pra- a person who was president in the 1960s. Oh, wow. So we've been around as a, an association for quite some time. My understanding is we actually professionalized our services, I think, in the 1980s. So for about 30, 40 years or so. I'm actually the only, I'm the third CEO of the, of the OHBA. So it's not that. Uh, so you're going to be there for a while. I'm going to be here as long as my board wants to keep me employed. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then what are you guys doing regarding the labor shortage? Is there any communication? I
0: think, I, I think we need to really start tapping into the um, to membership to find out what our next steps are. Like I said, we're in the process of redefining what our, our next advocacy path is. Um, we need to engage our membership to understand the challenges that they're facing with labor. Like, like the one thing that I think we haven't touched on with labor, and I think the one benefit... <coughs> the one benefit there's there's a very tough market out there but in the gta you know there's a shortage of labor but when laborers come into this country they want to live and work in the gta imagine if you were a gc in sudbury or thunder bay where they're just not getting the immigration numbers to supplement that shortfall yeah right like that's another layer to this problem that as an association they're getting the the farmers they're getting you want to talk about probably illegal building and, 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 you know, people who are not certified going in and doing the job like that is. A because nobody's issue. watching. Well, cause there's no, there's no one there. There's no one there. And if you're a GC in Sudbury um, and you know, you're putting out a competitive price point because there's maybe for every one GC, for every uh, one GC in Sudbury, there's probably three GCs in a GTA. Yeah. Of course. Right? Yeah. That, that price point becomes a little bit more uncompetitive. So you open up the market to these, this underground economy. And I know, our chair, Luis Agordo, who's from Sudbury, has identified this as a major issue that he wants to tackle. Right, like how do you stop the 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 facilitation of illegal trades in areas outside of the GTA that are suffering from um, not only low migration but 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 low kind of uh, uptake in the skilled trades industry. And that's something he's actively talking to the government with on a daily basis. But we need more information from our membership to understand what the problem is so that we can put forward a pretty workable solution with government.
1: So, Luca, why don't we get more people that are from construction in politics? Because, I mean, when I looked up, I mean, Monty's got (coughs) the only kind of construction experience, and that would be working in a home hardware and co-owning a home hardware eventually for 17 years, right? Mm -hmm. But Steve Clark doesn't have any at all. Um so I just I, I get it. I what I'm trying to say is that I'd love to see less suits and more workwear. Right. In politics. I don't know if there's contractors tradespeople out there that want to be handling that cuz like you said you're glutton for punishment kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and and you know the wonderful thing about our system is that anybody who wants to put their name forward to run on the ballot can. can. Um so I I think that's more of a question for the industry than it is for someone who study politics. I mean, I have my um My assumptions, I think it has to do with the level of compensation and the amount of work that you put into into the job in politics. I also think that there's an element of public scrutiny there that I think a lot of people in our industry would prefer to avoid. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, the opportunity is there for anybody who wants to get involved. They just have to step up.
1: I got a bunch more, but I feel like you're you're getting itchy to get out of here. No, 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 not at all. Okay, at all. all right. So now that I don't know, then it's not fine. All. It's all good. All right. I might so. have
0: to. I might have to ask you for a, for a bathroom break. Oh, you want to take place. a little bathroom? Do you um, want to take a
1: bathroom break and we can come back?
0: Yeah, let's take. Uh, maybe we can take five, just because I've drank
1: a lot of water and coffee, <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to <laughs> take to, uh, a little break. Yeah. Okay, so we'll yeah. cut it for now. That's fine. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. I do I know I I appreciate your time honestly and I'm not no, was I, I'm not here to pick a fights so I don't pick a fight anybody <laughs> no, it's on, all on, good. on it's just I I want to just debate and just I want everybody else to listen to it and and sure. then they can come up and and they'll probably email you and they'll probably reach out to you and Great. talk to you and ask you questions and then and I'm I like very respectful that you actually are even offering that like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm still surprised by that. Yeah,
0: right. no, I mean it's 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 the only way you're going to get information, and become better, right?
1: I want to, and I know that I, I actually was funny enough on the weekend. Uh, I've been chatting with Monty on DMs and reaching out, and then at Good. first they said, uh, "Sure, you know, uh, Harry will get a hold of you." Uh, Harry Godfrey, right? Yep. and never did. And then I try to follow up, try to follow up, and then last night I just said, "Hey, you're going to come on the show? What's the story here?" Right. And then he responded right away, and I was like, "Okay, Sunday night." I'm surprised, and he responded, and then he gave me Harry's email, and I emailed him. So I'd love to get him on the show because we definitely got to talk <laughs> about this stuff, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Labor, I think, is the biggest thing. I think, honestly, if you have a voice and you're speaking to the government, as much as you're saying 1.5 homes, 1.5 labor. Yep. It's almost the same conversation. Yep. One cannot be done without the other. We need the labor. Right. And I think that there's a, a huge disconnect. I've mentioned it before, the Yap. There's private trade schools mm-hmm. that charge 10 grand for three months for training a kid to come on a job site that knows nothing. And then they've got to start from scratch at that point. But this is a kid that's 18 years old or whatever. And they go in there and they, mom and dad, this is what I'm going to do. Three months. And I come out, I'm electrician, plumber, home rent or whatever. We need more, I keep going trades. So it's just like, how can we get these kids into this industry? I don't understand how we, the only thing I can think of is if they, I had a lot of people follow me in the very beginning regarding social media because I was building cool things. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I built this studio. So everyone's like, this is this is what you would do, Manny, right? So I come up with interesting ideas and a lot of people reached out to me because they wanted to get on my job site to shadow me, to learn, to understand how my thought process is. Right. That's why I was suggesting, yeah, but I can't do that if I've got a shadow and then I still have to run a business. I need to be compensated somehow to do it. But I sure. know there's thousands of contractors out there <coughs> that would be willing to do that. But you've already mentioned that's an uphill it's an it's a different and like you said earlier you guys are trying to get government away as much as possible from this so then we can make this happen Mm -hmm. but i still ask the question how do we get more labors out than the immigrant process or how do we get kids of today that are stuck on their phones and they they are being told that they can be the next influencer or Mm -hmm. what have you right Mm -hmm. any thoughts it's a good question. How do we make construction cool for the kids today? Well, that's today?
0: that's that's it, and I think you have to to combat the or, or, or do away with the perception that um, trades in construction is a less than yes industry. Yes. Um, First it, of all,
1: it's it, always been expressed as a career and never as a job on this show.
0: That's absolutely always one hundred percent because it is a career. It I is act. a career.
1: Um,
0: just looking back at at you know some of the people I went to high school with. People who have had the most successful careers are people who've gone in skilled trades for a number of reasons. One, they're not spending a lot of time in academic institutions. Education, and you know, yeah, they're not making a significant investment into um, university and colleges just to get a degree that you know is is a is a is a gateway to something. Like they're they're spending that time learning a a, a tangible and marketable asset that they can use to to monetize you know, well beyond or or a lot earlier than a lot of their colleagues who are going down the college university path. Um, And then specifically markets right now, you can start demanding perhaps a little bit more of a, of a price point than you would have previously. So there, there, there is an element of um, financial sustainability uh, to um, skilled trades that I think we need to put out there a bit more. Um, And I think schools, particularly at the high school and, and, you know, elementary school level or the public school system has to do a better job of articulating that, you know. Sometimes you're better suited to pick up a hammer or a wrench and, and start building. How, right? do we and get it, doesn't
1: how do we get it back in schools? That's, a yeah, lot I mean, of guys have expressed, listen, it has to get back into high schools when yeah. the last 30, 40 years has been removed from well, high schools.
0: Let's look at what, what you do when you look for advice at high schools, right? You go to a guidance counselor. How many people are in guidance counselor departments that have a skilled trade?
1: Zero. Yeah, they're, I I, they're I, would, I shouldn't say zero. I'd no, probably it close to zero. Yeah, exactly. And I agree. So with how you. could
0: you? How can you? How can you? Adequately market this as a career when the person who's trying to talk to you about it went through the conventional education system, teacher's college, and is there earning a teacher salary? Right. Like, step one, you know, maybe get more tradespeople in the guidance counselors' offices. Um, you know, step two, just make it cool. You know, like like I remember, I took a shop class. This is going back many years ago. I took a shop class um, when I was in university, and it was very limiting. It really didn't give you an exposure to all the. different It didn't types give you an trace. opportunity. That's right.
1: I look at a lot of kids that are potentially furniture makers, and I see little shops all over Toronto or even in 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 Hamilton that people are making one offs and yeah. customs, and they're designing all that stuff. And that's that's a kid with skills with woodworking and pulling off certain things had probably even welding skills and woodworking skills and upholstery skills all kinds of skills like that that's stuff that's not being taught in high schools right now
0: i agree and i don't even think it's being taught from like even just a theoretical perspective let alone a practical
1: perspective no that's not
0: so <coughs> you know you have this education system that's been set up over the past 20 or 30 years that tells you that university is the beacon of all education like listen, I I've been to university for a long time and I can tell you even though it it has done a lot to help me, you know, read and write and comprehend, um my career has not been based off of the degree I got. My career has been based off of the work that I did outside of university and the hustle I did outside of university to establish it. Um and I think we just need to change the mindset of students that like there are there are three different post-secondary education paths. There's university, there's college, there's the skilled trades. Each one of them has a benefit, right? It's it's what is that benefit that is really being applied to your circumstance. And, you know, if you want to have a sustainable career where you can make good money and you want to kind of have an active, um, you want to work in an active environment, maybe skilled trades is where you need to go. Um, university's not going to do anything for you. University is that place where you go and read for four years and, you know, maybe think. But if you're a doer and not a thinker, you don't even have, like, maybe college isn't even right for you. Just get get into the market, start doing. Yeah. Right? That's a message that it's not being taught in schools right now.
1: Who's responsible for that? Gosh, that's as, as big of a question as how do we get more <laughs> homes online, right? Like Does that not I, I guess it's not really part of Monty's wheelhouse? No. Is it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, all
0: all the curriculum comes through the Ministry of Education. Yeah. How curriculum gets developed through the Ministry of Education, I don't have insight onto insight on but then there's this whole other technical component to trades too like there there's you know a lot of ways trades are being digitized that could make it appealing to people who like to work off their computers right um but there's there's a whole world of opportunity there that I just is, I don't think is being communicated properly
1: to uh but that's coming from people. the education process yeah. and that's coming from it down to the teachers to the guidance counselors and everything like yeah. that right
0: yeah Maybe creating more opportunities for tradespeople to get in and educate people at the elementary and secondary school level.
1: Do you think that we would get more kids wanting to get into industry if the the actual, your salary, your rate was higher? <coughs> I don't think you would. I, I think people right
0: now are going through the education system and saying to themselves, what's going to give me sustainability, right? Longevity. Longevity. Yeah. I don't know how much people are going to define sustainability and longevity with respect to price differently or with respect to compensation differently. I mean, there are people who want to work hard and make a lot of money and they sustain themselves through filling their bank accounts or people who just want to be able to provide for them and their family and spend as much time as they can in a, work, in a position of work-life balance. So what I think the responsibility that you have um, to people looking into the trades is just helping them understand what kind of life you can have and the fact that, like, it really is... It's a life you can provide. It's a life that you can provide, but it really is, you know, not a typical nine to five. The more you work, the more you can earn. Um, The more you earn, the more flexible you're going to be in how you work. Um, And I think that's probably something that would resonate really well with an emerging demographic who is not conditioned to be as a set of, um, I don't want to use control, but like isn't conditioned to kind of think like that nine to five. No. Work day that you know you and I were kind of conditioned to think when we're coming through the public no. school system.
1: I used to joke all the time saying there's two sixes in a day. Yeah, they just never were aware of the first one. That's right. That's all. That's right. Let's just say by miracle of chance or whatever, we hit that 1.5 ten years down the line. Mm-hmm. What would be next?
0: Oh gosh, if I could tell listen. If I knew the answer to that question, I can probably make a million dollars consulting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, what could, what could be next? There's always going to be an opportunity um, to build, whether it's homes, whether it's commercial space. You know, there's or spaces like we're in today. Um, there's always going to be an opportunity to build, and there's always going to be this 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 natural kind of push and pull factor with government. You know, governments that are a bit more environmentally focused are always going to push development off to the corner. Governments that are a bit more development focused are going to pull them back in. Um, 10 years from now where we're going to be, I don't know. Um, I think what we're going through right now with this housing crisis is probably putting a lot of decision makers in the mindset that they have to be a bit more building focused, yeah. um, which is good for our industry. Cause then we can start having conversations around, you know, the skilled trades and the value of the skilled trades and how we bring them online. But you know, there's always going to be this tension between how much do we build and what is the right kind of balance of building to fulfill the needs of the present day. Um and I, I don't know what that question is gonna look like ten years from now. Um, even if we do build one point five million homes. Um, but I do think there's always gonna be a demand to build things better, to build things more quickly, because that's how you achieve, you know, that's how you take advantage of competition in this market, that's how you attract businesses into this into this province, you know, that's how you build a, a credible and well resourced labor force. So
1: Do you have some insight, Luca, into um why Ford removed the green incentives for battery charging in the home? I don't. No.
0: I'm going to have to look into that
1: one. Okay, I'm just he got rid of it. Yeah. So we, we we it was a conversation that came up and I think I was speaking to a general contractor and they said, "Yeah, if you get a battery charger and you buy a ba- electric vehicle EV, uh government covers 50% of the actual cost of the unit, 50% of the labor." Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were doing it, but then he got rid of that. So it was part of the green Initiative yeah, went away. Was that this bill or was this in a previous No, not bill? this bill, in a previous bill.
0: <laughs> oh, that was... Because uh, that
1: was there first. It was introduced and all of a sudden I started a lot of... I, I paid attention to a lot of Sparkies were installing them. And I was like, great, they're installing them. Clients mm-hmm. are asking for it. They're they're running mm-hmm. the, the the 240, what have you, and getting it all ready. But then all of a sudden, now the client has to pay the full ticket. That's right. They're not interested in paying the full ticket. So then they just said, forget it, we're not going to do it now. Right.
0: I, I'm not too sure. I don't have any insight on that one. Okay. I wish I did, but... I can't hypothesize what the government's mindset was then.
1: All right. I mean, I think we're good. I don't great. know unless you want to share some more. I mean, I keep on drilling you about a bunch of no. other stuff. I but mean,
0: uh, this was a great conversation. <laughs> this is a great conversation. This was perhaps one of the more, uh, the more uh, I hate using the term more fun because uh, it's just bad English. But it's, uh, it was one of the more interesting. What are
1: you normally used to? I don't know what you're normally used to.
0: Oh, not uh, like like five six minute segments on like radio and TV, and uh, this was like I was sitting down with one of my members over a board meeting and having a great conversation. That's generally
1: the construction life. That's how it works, it's right? Great. For whatever it's great. reason, in my early career, I was asked to guest speak at um, uh, the the HVAC conference or yeah. some of that. I explained to them, I'm not an HVAC person. I like I don't know anything about that. And they okay. said, "Man, your presentation was amazing. It was better than the guy from last year who was doing fracking."
0: You know what? I, I, I will say this. Um, you asked me the question, what drew me to this job? Yes. And, you know, I think through the conversation we had today and some of the conversations I've had with my members, it's really the one industry where people are very passionate about what they do. Um, it's agree. one of the industry where people create their own opportunity. Um, and it's one of the industries where, despite the fact that we don't really have a consensus on how we get there, I think we're all united behind, you know, a single mission. And that is to create a safe home for people who want to buy yes, homes for sure. Right. And, and that I think is something unique to our industry. Um, and it's something that as, as someone who doesn't build homes is very inspiring and what motivates me to come to work every day to work on, on my member's behalf. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys today. This was a lot of fun. No, oh, thank um, you. If we can ever have a chance to get back, uh, you know, I'd like to do it maybe in 10 years from now when, <laughs> We can actually answer the questions. I don't if they build, know if well, I'll be five here.
1: Homes, I'll be 60 years old, We'll man. get you out of retirement. <laughs> I'll be we'll somewhere I might be somewhere else. We have one last segment to do, which is the 12 questions of construction. Sure. Did, did you even look at those questions when I was sent you in the email? <laughs> you got to have a chat with <laughs> I Alex. Like, I
0: like to be surprised. Okay. Well, a I lot of like people were asking me for the questions beforehand
1: sure. because they wanted to study, I guess. I like to, I like to go on the fly. All right. What I'm going to embarrass myself. What is your all. favorite construction word, Luca? My favorite construction word? Word. Work. What is your least favorite construction word?
0: My least favorite construction word? Oh gosh, Um, I don't like it when people use derogatory terms to refer to our tradespeople. Like I don't like it when people use derogatory terms to refer to the work that we do. I'm not going to get into them. We all know them. Yeah, we all know them. But that's that's those are probably my least favorite words. Good.
1: Yeah. What turns you on in construction?
0: it's a very interesting industry where you get to see something go from uh a pile of materials to a asset that's probably the single most important asset in anybody's life. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. What turns you off in construction? Timelines and process. Timelines and process. <laughs> but that's
1: your CV. That's your That's, that's my CV.
0: <laughs> I'm motivated by 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 my turnoffs, I guess. Um but it, it's, it, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the people who are trying to work in the
1: industry. It doesn't help the people who are trying to buy homes. No, it doesn't. No. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? We haven't cursed on this show. It's up to you. My favorite curse word? I mean, if you're talking to... Uh, it can be an Italian.
0: It could be to my Italian or to my girlfriend or my parents. If you're asking me that question, it was probably the F word. I use that quite uh, quite religiously in situations that aren't professional. But um, yeah, I try to I try to keep it clean as much as I can. A quick side question. Sure.
1: I guess when you're dealing with all these political people, does the veil ever drop and just they just become normal people? Like they oh, just yeah. and they just go fuck, 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 fuck. They they all use the same. They all
0: use the bathroom the same way we do. Okay. Man. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. I just, want, I just want to <laughs> confirm that. That's all. I haven't spoken to my sheriff. So yeah. They all use the bathroom <laughs> the same way we do, and you know that's a good indicator of of how how we all we are all real people. Yeah. We're all real people. All real people. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite vehicle in the entire world? My favorite vehicle in the entire world. I, uh, oh gosh, there's too many. I like the car I drive now. I like the car I drive now. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to be able to uh, pick up a, a Cadillac ST5 sports model this summer. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not really big into cars, but for some reason, um, I sat in this car it's very comfortable and I do a lot of driving. So it gets me around in a way that's, you know, not too harsh.
1: What's your least favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh, Probably a bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) So you totally, that's why you answered King Street so easily. Uh, What construction sound or noise do you love? I love it all. I love it all. Every sound? Every sound is a sound of progress. I love it all. What construction sound or noise do you hate? Quiet construction sites. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day?
0: Oh gosh, a profession other than my own? I'd like to be a chef. Culinary.
1: A I lot like of culinary guys come on the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, cooking is the one thing that relaxes me quite a bit. Um, I'm supposed to uh, head back to, to my condo and make dinner for my girlfriend at some point. Uh, so we'll see if what, uh, she agrees. We're kicking you oh, getting out of here. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah.
1: what profession would you not like to do? Oh, gosh. Um, I, 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 I respect teachers.
0: I have a lot of time for teachers. I don't think I have the patience to be a teacher.
1: But it's funny because I think, and I've said it several times, tradespeople are teachers. They eventually become a teacher. They do. Every single one of them. That's why I'm not a tradesperson. (laughs) (laughs) Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Oh, you know what, Luca? Thank you for helping us build 1.5 million new homes over the past (laughs) 10 years. I almost want to make a wager with you, man. You know what? <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, what's your what? favorite restaurant in Oakville that's it's still here in 10 years? In Oakville? I I not even, I'm in Toronto. You want to get me? You know what? Harbor. That's okay. Harbor. Okay. Okay, if Harbor's still there in 10 years and it's not turning <laughs> How would Harbor Rondo, not
0: be there? Well, it could be in a corner. I want my steak Butterfly. <laughs> we need to build 1.5 million new homes, man. I mean, they 10 could turn to Harbor. Harbor's I'm going to enjoy my steak in 10
1: years. Okay. Luca, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. And
0: just one more time for your listeners, it's
1: LBUCCI at OHBA. There you go. And everyone check him out. Reach out to him. Honestly, he's yeah. like totally down to earth, approachable. Ask the question. Ask the question. That's it. It's as simple as that, yeah. man. I can't promise you good answers, but I can promise you an answer. Yeah, which is yeah. great. I think that's it, bro. I think Perfect. we're done. So thank, thank you very you. much, Angelina. We are out of here.